Fisher. Hey guys, did you make some new friends? Okay, Carter just told me, can I call you out on that? She told me she wants to be a sea otter. And it took literally no thought. That was the immediate choice. It was a sea otter. Y'all, I have probably never thought about what animal I wanted to be in my whole life, like for real. I was like, a bird? I don't know. I don't know what kind of thing. Sea otters, you would be a sea otter. Very cute and very adorable, yes. And they live in the water. They hold hands. Huh. You know a lot about sea otters. <laughs> I know. I know. So anyways, guys, welcome to Crash. It's good to see you again. I feel like last week we weren't even here, even though we were and had a party. But, like, I don't know what happened. Um, so my name is Crystal. If you're new tonight, um, I get to lead this fabulous group of women. Um, so before we get started... Let's do this. Let's refocus. Let's pray, and then we'll get, we'll get going. So, Jesus, thank you for tonight. Um, God, you know how my week has been and how I'm standing up here, and I'm like, wait, what am I doing? Where am I going? What was the next thing I have to say? Um, so will you please take over tonight? Um, and let this be about you and not about me. Lord, take my tongue that is, like, stumbling over its words and... Um, God, just use tonight for your glory. Let it be um, meaningful. Let it be intentional. And, um, yeah, just meet us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so truly, guys, I am a little tired, so just give me the the great umbrella of grace. I have been known to say things like we can have sex in church and other things like that when I'm tired. We cannot, by the way, have sex in church, just for the record. Um, Okay, so, (laughs) yeah, yeah, not in the church build ever. I'm just going to say ever. Let's just make that a rule. Um, Okay, so tonight our series is kicking off in sexology. And some of you guys might be wondering, like, why are we doing this? It's so awkward. I'm not going to make eye contact with anyone at my table. And I feel you. Like, I don't want to make eye contact with any of you guys either. But unfortunately, I have to look at you all night long, so it's going to be fine. Um, But what we want to do is in this series, we don't want to talk about, like, really sex itself, we want to kind of talk about the things that surround sex and sexuality, and the things that we get tripped up on as women, um, and what God's heart for us is in it, because what God's heart for us is in it is just straight up goodness, Um, and I think we miss that, and I think the church misses that a lot when we're talking about it, and we're all sexual beings, let's just be real about that, so whether we're talking about it or not, we're thinking about it, sometimes we're acting on it, Um, we come from all different places of marriage and divorce and singleness and... Other things, I don't even know. I was like, is there another category? I don't think so. Um, so. So we all come from different places with different experiences, life experiences. Um, and I know in a room this size, you have probably maybe had experiences with sex that weren't so great, some of you guys. Um, and some of you guys have never experienced it at all. So we have a, a range. So I want to invite everybody into the conversation with the idea that we're not here to push buttons or be trendy or be edgy. This is a real conversation about real life. Um, 
and what God's heart is for us in the realness of life that we live every day. So we want to invite you into that. If you guys have any questions or you have anything you want to talk to any of us about afterwards, I am 100% available. There are other leaders in the room who are available, um, and we want to have the conversation with you and just love you where you're at. So, okay, so a lot of you guys know that, A, um, I love avocados. I do. I do. I love them. And I eat them a lot. And so I was at Walmart the other day buying avocados and other, like, various food groups. And then B, um, I bought, like, a few other things, and it was the Walmart over the one of, like, the express ones. So you have to, like, either let somebody check you out or check yourself out. So you guys need to know I was lazy and feel like scanning my own food that day. So I was standing in line with the cashier. And all of a sudden, people, like, kind of around the front of the door started to, like, go outside and kind of make loud, excited exclamations, and I was like, oh, something's going on. It's Lynchburg. Probably somebody's chasing somebody down the road. I don't know. Um, but fairly quickly, like, the cashier behind me left and went out to see what was going on, and then the cashier over here left and went to see what was going on. There's only three cashier lines in, the, in that place, so, like, my cashier was, like, making eye contact with me and kind of, like, side-eyeing the door, and I was like, you want to go look? She was like, yeah. So then she left and ran out the door too. And so I was like, well, if everybody else is going, I'm going to go. And so I went outside, you guys, and I literally thought to myself, <clears throat> there's going to be nothing out here but some kind of drama, some kind of chaos. Somebody's doing something in the parking lot they shouldn't be doing. But y'all, I went outside, and it was a huge, spectacularly bright double rainbow. It was gorgeous. You guys might have seen it. It was a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I could see, you know, in rainbows, sometimes you see, like, the red, yellow, green, or the blue, purple part, and not the whole band. But this double rainbow, you could see the whole band of all the colors. Um, and it was just one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And it was just a moment for me of, like, okay, A, I love that I live in a place where there's still people innocent enough to love a rainbow. Um, and B, like, how kind of God. Like, so silly, but so kind to just throw that huge double rainbow out there for us to enjoy. Um, a couple of years ago, also, Ryan and I went to Costa Rica. Ryan is my husband. And we stayed in a place called Treetops Hotel, which is a super rad place. If you guys ever decide to go to Costa Rica, stay here. It's not very expensive. But they build their rooms up into the canopy of the rainforest on stilts. And so as you're sitting in the morning, like, sipping your tea on the veranda of these hotels... Um, they come and put fruit out, and then the monkeys and the birds come and eat it. So you get to live, like, in an open-air zoo and eat your tea and your breakfast. It's wonderful. Um, I loved it. And you guys need to know that I grew up in South America, so toucans are my favorite bird. I love them. They have, if you don't know what that is, they have huge, long beaks. They're super colorful. They're very rare because they're poached and hunted for their beaks all the time. And so, I know, isn't that terrible? So, oh, was that you, Carter? I'm sorry. <laughs> but they're just lovely birds. We're going to move right past that. <laughs> They're lovely birds. Ooh, there, it's better. Um, they're lovely birds, and you rarely ever get to see them. So um, the last morning we were there, I was sipping my tea, and all of a sudden this flock of toucans came out of nowhere and landed on my veranda. And I was like, ooh! It was like one of those moments where you're like, this is happening. Um, and so then they took off, and I was like, oh. And then they came back. And I was like, oh, my camera was inside the room with the door shut, and Ryan was still sleeping. And I was like, no. And then they took off again, and so I was like, okay. Lord, and I prayed this prayer with deep sincerity, please bring them back one more time. I'm going to go get my camera. Will you please, please do that? So I went inside and got my camera and just sat on the porch and waited anxiously. Like, this is probably ridiculous. Probably God doesn't care. Who cares about a flock of birds? So they came around a third time. And they didn't just come around. They, like, hung out and kept eating the fruit and, like, 
posed for my camera, and I was like, oh, okay, I see you too, can I see you? Um, so we had a photo shoot, and it was amazing. So the point of this story is we're talking about intimacy tonight. We're going to define it. We're going to look at it from all kinds of different ways. We're going to kind of poke on it and prod at it and chew on it. And what I want you guys to take away tonight is that the God who cares about whether or not I see a rainbow and a flock of birds also cares about the deep parts of my heart. He cares about how I'm known. He cares about how I know him. He cares about how I know other people. Um, And so intimacy is not something that is slight to God. He cares about the little things, and he cares about our afflictions and our deep hurts and wounds as well. Um, So you are seen tonight, and you matter to him, all of you guys. And that is the one thing that I really want to take away. So the dictionary, um, it defines intimacy as a state marked by emotional closeness, warmth, something that is very personal or private. That all sounds great. What it boils down to is intimacy is knowing and being known. And that's on your, your notes. It's your first fill in the blanks. Intimacy is knowing and being known. And you guys, there's lots of ways to define intimacy. And the world has defined it a lot of different ways. Um, Some people would define intimacy as only sexuality. um, Or sexuality being the first step into intimacy. Or um, intimacy being a result of sexuality. And so we're going to look at kind of that that idea tonight of what comes first. Does intimacy come first? Does sex come first? Do they come together? Like, what is that? And so we're really going to define that because I think... All of us are getting messages, I don't think I know, all of us are getting messages every day about how this whole thing develops. We are, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go, let's let's read and see what God said about this. So we're going to look at um, a few verses out of Genesis 1. It's the first verse on your, your papers. And it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then in John 1.18, it says, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who himself is God and is in closest relationship with the Father, and he has made him known. So you guys, we're created, this first thing the scripture says is we're created in the image of God. And God is a communal God. He's three in one. It's the Father, it's the Son, it's the Holy Spirit. And the three of them live in community all the time. They live in intimacy all the time. So if we're made in the likeness, because that's what it means to be made in the image of, we're made like a like God, then we're made to want to be in community and have intimacy and be in relationship. We want to know and we want to be known by others. No matter how introverted you are, that is true. You may not want like 15 people to know you, but you want at least one or two to know who you are. And I'm an introvert, so I can say that with deep truth. Um, So intimacy is God's plan. It's his design and it's his pattern for us. So we can't escape it. I know that some of us like to put walls up or say that because of past woundings, I don't want people to know me or to be known by other people. But at the end of the day, we're fighting against what's our natural inclination. And so no matter how many walls we put up, we never truly find the joy that we're looking for. So we're going to keep reading that part of Genesis 2. And he says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. 
So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Super weird. Let's just all acknowledge that. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So the first thing that I see in this story, and it's the first sentence actually, is really interesting to me. It's where God says it's not good for the man to be alone. And this is in the second chapter of Genesis. The first chapter of Genesis is just like a list of things that God is calling good. He goes through all of creation and everything he sees that he's done, he says is good, including rest. And then he gets to Adam's aloneness. And that's the first thing he says is that it's not good. So once again, we see that intimacy is God's plan and his design for us. And then what else does he do? Honestly, I really wanted to make a lot of jokes about, like, men and women in this story because, like, God shows Adam every single living thing there is in the world. And it takes Adam a long time to understand that he is alone. Right? Kind of. I was like, all right, Lord. Um, I don't know. I didn't know. I don't know. I just think he's very—God is very intentional about that. And besides making a joke at the expense of of men— the intentionality of that is that we need other human beings. Animals are good. There are lots of comfort. Some of us love them more than others, but they're a good thing. But animals still can never take the place of connection with other human beings. And so God created women out of men. Again, out of men. So we're created one for the other. <clears throat> and once again, we see that intimacy and that closeness. So the pattern is that humanity is divinely designed to desire intimacy. Now, psychology has looked at this and come up with the same conclusion, which I love because when science and scripture come together, I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, And they say different things about the levels of intimacy. They define it different ways. They have different levels. uh, But they all agree that there are different levels and that it fluctuates in relationships based on circumstances, based on what's happening in your life, um, and based on the relationship. So I want to throw some categories out there to you guys to kind of give you a framework. And these are very generic and kind of, I put a bunch of things together. So this is not all conclusive. Um, But on your notes, you'll see it. And the first one is shallow communication, which is level one. So this level of intimacy is like your coworkers talking about the weather. Um, What did you have for lunch? Communication is happening. You're communicating and sharing, but it's not deep communication. It's like that friend you see once every couple months or so and you're talking about, like, baseball or you're talking about, like, what you bought when you went shopping last week at H&M. It's mostly safe. There's not a lot of personal investment out there. Level two is personal opinions and experiences. This one is a little deeper. You're sharing your thoughts and ideas about the world. You're talking about things that have shaped you in your life and what you think about what is happening in the world around you. It's like a, it's a friendship. This is an intellectual and emotional intimacy, and it's a lot more vulnerable. So these would be your friends that you hang out with. This would probably be some family members. These would be um, people that you would call people closer to you. Level three is needs and desires. And this is the most vulnerable and the deepest form of intimacy because you're sharing the inside of you and allowing other people to access who you really are. So 
this is a trusted place. This is people who are super close with you. It's close friendship. It's family. It's your spouse. Um, and there's a lot of you on the table. So it's a place where it's not super safe because there's ability to get hurt. So guys, here's the question, and it's not rhetorical. <clears throat> what, what do you see on this list that's missing from these definitions? Something is not in this definition of, of intimacy. What? God. Mm-hmm, that's one. What? What? Sex. Jode for the win. God as well. God always wins. They both win. <laughs> it's a given, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so sex. And these are secular definitions, you guys, that I pulled off of psychology websites. So sex by itself does not equal intimacy. Both scripture and psychology agree on that. So you guys have on your sheets a little thing that has a does not equal sign with a line through it. Um, I want you to put sex on one side, and I want you to put intimacy on the other. So sex by itself does not equal intimacy. Now that would be a different thing than what we're told by the world, by television, by books, by movies, by friends. It might be different than what we tell ourselves. Because we're often told and we often think that our sexuality is tied into intimacy and the way for us to get and keep a relationship is to bring sexuality into it. But that's just not true. Intimacy is not primarily sexual. It's primarily spiritual. We have to know and we have to be known. And all relationships require some level of this in order to function. I want to read you guys a quote um, that I pulled off of a website <clears throat> that was really good. And I was like, oh, this is so true. It's kind of a long quote, so I'm going to try and make it interesting for you guys to listen to. But here it is. And this deals with the reason why it's important not to confuse these two things. It says, when we have sex outside marriage before the highest level, of intimacy, we are creating a false sense of intimacy in our relationship. The sex makes us feel closer than we really are. The sex makes us feel close, but in reality, we don't know each other very well. We're experiencing a false sense of intimacy. We use sex to express our love, communicate, and resolve conflict. And now, it's at this level of emotional intimacy that we're most likely to stay in the relationship. In other words, emotional intimacy gets stalled at the level where we start having sex. Let me explain why. Emotional intimacy requires being able to risk conflict in order to move to the next level. Handling conflict in a, a healthy and safe way without being rejected is what allows us to build the trust we need to communicate at a higher, more vulnerable level. So we may feel that this person is the one and we don't want anything to threaten this relationship. And so although we may occasionally move to higher levels, we'll continue to fall back in that safe zone where we started to communicate. We make sense that there's something missing, but then with sex, we feel that surge of closeness again, making us feel that all is well. So do you guys understand what he's saying? Does it make sense? He's saying that when we start to bring sexuality into a relationship before it's time, that, that sex kind of stalls your intimacy. So that thing that we're longing for and needing for, especially as women, is that when you introduce sex into it before it's time, <clears throat> it stops you from getting what you need to long for and want. You guys know 
that my heart desires a good graph at all times. And so you have two triangles on your sheet, and we're going to fill them in. The first one is the love triangle. Yeah. Um, and this is a theory that Robert Sternberg in 1985 put forth. It's his theory of love. Um, and so he said, in order for love to be real and lasting, you need to have intimacy. You need to have commitment. And you need to have passion. Intimacy is this. This one right here. So you need to have these three things in order for love to be lasting and real. Sex, like intimacy, is God's idea. And we forget that a lot, especially in the church where all you ever hear is don't have sex. It's never really said that actually sex and intimacy are the design of God for us as human beings. It's a good thing, you guys. It's a really good thing. And so God is the expert in how to use them in the correct way. God is interested in maximizing our relationships. Whether or not we're single, whether or not we are married, whatever our status is, we all have relationships with other people. And so intimacy is the relationship thing that happens in your friendships, it happens in your coworkers, it happens in your family. And intimacy is something we need at every single level. So sexuality is meant to be the ultimate expression of intimacy between a married couple and a committed relationship because it's safety. You can have intimacy without sexuality, but you cannot have sex and get intimacy from it. It's the spiritual before the physical. That's the design. It's always the design. So here are some intimacy blockers that come up and some thought patterns that sex outside of marriage contribute to. One is believing and acting that love is a feeling that come and comes and goes. Another one is believing and acting that once love fades, it's over, you're out. Believing and acting that love is something you have to earn. Oh, that's a big one, you guys. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. I can't tell you how many times I've thought that, actually. Um, believing and acting that I'm unlovable. And communicating that people have little or no value, that they're objects to be used. So I want to look at that triangle diagram again. And this one is one I just made up. <laughs> and we're going to call it the intimacy triangle. And the base of this triangle, the thing that's the most important thing that you can't move away from if you want to experience true and deep intimacy, is a relationship with God. The second thing is boundaries. And the third thing is a soft heart. <clears throat> so how is it possible to have boundaries and a soft heart at the same time? That's how. God is the answer to having both boundaries that protect you and a heart that's soft enough to let people in. Intimacy is holy and good and deep, and it fills you up when you have all three of these things working together in a relationship, no matter what that relationship is, no matter who that relationship is with. So when I say a relationship with God, what I mean is a surrendered life. Um, we talk a lot in here about how Relationship is not a belief system. It's not a lifestyle. It's a choice that you make to give up control of who you are and say, Jesus, 
I'm not going to be the boss of me anymore. You're going to be the boss of me. So true intimacy only comes when we give up control to the one who created that, who created us for intimacy, to need it and to want it. And we're going to um, look at his heart for us, which I think is super interesting and super important. So we're going to look at John 17:20, And I didn't actually put this on your notes. I'm just going to read it to you. I think I put it. No, I did. Yeah, it's on there. It's underneath intimacy is not primarily sexual. It says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. And then I'm going to pause there. So what Jesus is praying for is intimacy. God in us, him knowing us, us knowing him at the deepest levels. We often think about God as an idea or a theory or something that's kind of out there and fuzzy, but he's not. God is a person. He has thoughts and feelings and ideas. He loves. He feels pain and longing. He loves you. He made you. He's for you. Intimacy with God is understanding who he is and what his plan is for us. And the second verse in that same page says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And so to know and rely on the love God has for us, that is intimacy with God. We know him. We trust his heart for us. We have confidence in it. There's a lot of freedom in real intimacy. There's a lot of freedom in this triangle right here. It's the freedom to relax and to flourish. Um, maybe tonight you guys are in a place of like working really hard to make God happy. Maybe you're striving a lot. Maybe you're discouraged because you feel like you have to fix yourself and fix what's wrong before you can approach him. So the one thing that I want you guys to remember about who God is tonight is that he is for you and coming to him is the safest place to come because he already knows what's going on. He already sees the mess that we live in and he loves and desires us anyway. He won't leave us in the mess, but he's not afraid to come into it. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, we've all like heard that, know that, kind of by heart probably. Um, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude. It doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes always perseveres. Um, There's a scripture that says that God is love. And so if we put his name in there, and I kind of want to, I want to read that list out to you guys. And I want you guys to really like think about what I'm reading out to you and think about that in relation to you and who you are. Because this is God's heart for you. God is patient. God is kind. He's not envious. He doesn't boast. He isn't proud. He isn't dishonoring. He's not selfish. God is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil. God rejoices with the truth. He always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres. So when you have messed up and you're like, I don't know if I can come to him, I want you guys to remember this, that his heart is always to hope. It's always to persevere with you. And he keeps no record of wrongs. Brendan Manning is one of my 
all-time favorite authors. If you guys have never read him, you need to read him. Um, Abba's Child, The Ragamuffin Gospel, those are all worthwhile reads. And he says this, The unaffected heart is one of the dark mysteries of human existence. It beats dispassionately in human beings with lazy minds, listless attitudes, unused talents, and buried hopes. They never seem to get beneath the surface of their lives. They die before they ever learn to live. The engaged mind, illuminated by truth, awakens awareness. The engaged heart, affected by love, awakens passion. May I say once more, this essential energy of the soul is not an ecstatic trance, a high emotion, or a sanguine stance toward life. It is a fierce longing for God, an unyielding resolve to live in and out of the truth of our belovedness. Living out of the truth of our belovedness is an, kind of a journey to get to. It's a place that is hard because naturally we're ashamed of where we've been or we don't think he cares. And so for us to come to him, it takes some faith and it takes some, I would just say like a jump almost to say, hey, God is for me. He desires me. He loves me. And so I can live in intimacy with him. And because I trust that intimacy with him, I can then have intimacy with the people around me because I'm safe and he keeps me safe. My safety is not dependent on my relationships with you guys as much as I love y'all. Well, some of you guys. Just kidding. I love all of you. Um, But there is safety in that. Once you have a relationship with God, the other two arms fall into place. You can have a soft heart because the love of God compels you towards other people. And you can have boundaries because love for God compels you to live differently. So with the boundaries, we don't choose the things that hurt us and hurt other people. We protect out of love our lives from the sin that does that. The thing that Satan always lies about and the thing that he lied about in Genesis and just keeps going, he's not very original, is that sin is okay. Like, eh, just eat the apple, it'll be fine. You'll know stuff you didn't know before. Eh, just go ahead and do what feels good. It doesn't matter. You'll be fine. Everyone else is doing it. It's the right thing to do. It makes sense logically. Sin always leads to death. And death does not always mean physical death. Sometimes it means emotional and relational death. Sexual activity outside of marriage does not lead to intimacy because what do we say? Intimacy is spiritual, not physical. We want relationship as women. But the path to relationship, and it's a good path, it's a path that God wants for us, begins with the heart. So, you guys can probably see on your notes, I have put an intimacy questionnaire on there. Another thing I just stole off the internet. Um, Don't answer it yet. Um, I want you guys to have the next several minutes to do that. Hannah's going to come up and sing a song over you. And then you're going to have some time to process it at your tables. And I'm giving you guys lots of discussion time tonight and a short short talk because I want to give you like a solid... 10 minutes probably to take the questionnaire, even though it's short, because I want you to think about it. Um, and then I want you to talk about it. And it's not a right or wrong. So don't take this and think, this is, I'm right or I'm wrong or whatever. It's just a heart check. Um, and you can share whatever you're comfortable sharing off of it. Um, but this questionnaire deals with relationships and how you handle intimacy, which you said is spiritual, which you said is interacting with other people, um, and our spiritual intimacy. Where are we at with Jesus? Where are we at with God? Um, so, Hannah, I keep looking around the room for her. There you are.